Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to the EM360 podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Matt Harris, editor here at EM360 and your host on today's episode. Make sure you stay up to date with all of our latest episodes by subscribing to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you go for your podcast needs. Now, in today's episode, I'm joined by Detective John Price from West Midlands Police and John Cook, International Training Instructor from Extero. And we're all here to talk about digital forensic challenges within the police force. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I, know, I know you're both called John, so we'll, we'll try and not make this too confusing. Um, but could you both just give a little, give a little bit of background on uh, who you are, what you do, and um, you, you know the, your sort of current, current kind of place in the industry? Okay, yes. Yeah, so I'm Detective Sergeant John Price. I'm a police officer with West Midlands Police. I've been a police officer now for over 24 years. Um, I've been with digital forensics probably about 10 of those years, collectively. The vast majority of my career has been on investigations. I'm a technical manager within Westminster Police, so I'm responsible for certain areas around the ISO uh, accreditation that we've got, and I also oversee our digital crime scene attendants. And I'll uh, introduce myself from there. So, uh, John Cook, um, long history of uh, digital forensics. I started in digital forensics in 2004 whilst I was a police officer in West Mercia Police. Uh, I did 15 years in the high-tech crime unit at that force and left at the end of 2019. After that, I worked for the Transforming Forensics program as a digital forensics subject matter expert, they like to call us. And that was a project from the Home Office across England and Wales, dealing with the future of digital forensics uh, across those 43 forces. I left that program uh, in August last year and joined Extero, and I'm currently on the international training team, training the forensic software FTK, FTK Central. Um, and providing sort of marketing and technical support to our sales and development teams. Excellent. Thank you both for that. Um, I kind of wanted to jump straight in here by asking you both, I suppose, uh, what are the biggest challenges with digital forensics within the police force currently? Because this is something that I haven't necessarily heard about too much. Um, Are there serious issues going on right now? Yeah, I think to answer that, Matt, I probably it's quite a complex issue, really. I don't think there's a single solution to it. So, as we're aware now with digital um, crime scenes, for example, you know, when I joined the police 24 years ago, if you went to a crime scene, for example, you would have been lucky to find a single phone. Whereas now we go to scenes and, you know, we're going in, we've got Nest doorbells, for example, all that cloud storage of all that data um, of obviously movement in and out of the house router data, IoT devices, mobile phones, tablets, computers, laptops. So the sheer volume of data that we're dealing with, so on average, one of our typical cases can be anywhere between a couple of hundred gigabytes up to around about eight terabytes we're seeing on average now for certain cases. So yeah, sheer volume of data um, to to deal with that complexity and over, it's been estimated over 90% of crime offences have some form of digital element, either that being mobile phones, computers, CCTV, example. I think also, and correctly as well, the the right reasons around the forensic science regulator within the UK and the requirements for ISO. Personally, I think it's been long overdue and to give that standardisation. But with that comes a lot of quality, a lot of assurance, 
and, and all that bedrock really to make sure the, the, the product that we're giving to the court is, you know, forensically robust um, there. And, and I think when you're adding that with the sheer volume of data sizes that we're seeing, it does add, does add a massive complexity around ensuring our validation, competency and all that, all that stuff's up to date. And I think finally as well is, um, you know, when we're seeing all these apps that are coming out, you know, literally daily, encryption and stuff is trying to stay on top of the wave, really. So, yeah, I think there's, there's definitely a lot of movement in that area, definitely a lot of complexities. Um, and I just don't think there's a single thing at the moment. But I think what's probably more, more concerning for us is definitely around the sheer volume of data at the moment. Got it, got it. And uh, John, uh, from from your perspective, how how is this affecting the other side of things? From, from the vendor perspective. So uh, the vendor perspective is that we're scrambling to meet the needs of the customers. We want to address their issues. We want to address their problems. But in many ways, the, the, the problems of digital forensics are mirrored across the entire enterprise landscape. So it's not just a law enforcement issue that data sizes have, have grown exponentially and continue to grow exponentially. I think we all sort of hope that at some point, that people would stop fitting massive terabyte hard drives to laptops so that you could sort of could sort of catch a breath. But the reality is that the, the marketplace for provision of computers and storage just seems to grow and grow and grow. And when people are given more storage, they use it. It's not as if they stand still with the the, the manner with which we use technology. That technology expands to, to fill the gap that's available to it. So across... The law enforcement space, the enterprise space, we see a huge processing need effectively. The, the data's there. It needs to be processed. We've got the tools to extract the information out. But how do you tackle such massive um, containers of information without spending exorbitantly large amounts of money on processing power to achieve that? And in many ways, the processing power exponential curve hasn't risen as quickly as the the same curve for storage and so we we have over the last few years seen uh, a bit of a plateau really in the time it takes to process information there was a huge speed up sort of between 2013 2020 uh, 2020 about the the processing uh, achievements of the software and the hardware that we were dealing with but those speeds seem to have plateaued off now and we're stuck in a space where we have to tackle this mountain of information uh, in a, the, as most efficient manner as we can. Yeah, and I think I think when this challenge kind of comes up here, it all sort of comes back to, you know, shifting into the cloud and how you can sort of best do that across the entire tech stack. Um, De- Detective John Price, from, from your perspective, you know, what is the significance of moving digital forensics into the cloud and it being such... A fragile thing, uh, especially in the in the law enforcement space. Are there any unique challenges here that you're just not going to see in any other industry? Yeah, def- definitely. And I, I think it's fair to say when I took over part of this this team back in 2016, um, and we were allocated an X amount of budget for our infrastructure. I think for us, it would have been yeah, let, you know, let's try and keep it all tin, all on prem. But you know, when, when we're being totally true and honest, we're responsible for that. So we're looking after obviously all the patching, the maintenance, and all that type of stuff. But it's, it's taking us away from our core role. And also, there comes a certain element where we're running out of cab space, running out of power, then the associated infrastructure issues around air conditioning, and all that type of stuff we know about. 
is you, you can see some quite hidden costs really. And I think what we found during COVID was it, it wasn't as easy to, you know, to, to have that support from our suppliers as before to purchase additional drives or to replace drives, for example. Uh, and also that scalability uh, to scale out if we had to. We, we were sort of, we didn't feel comfortable that we had that ready to go. And, and I think that was felt not just, you know, across police, I think that was felt globally with supply chain issues. Um, I think the cloud, what the cloud's given us, you know, being totally honest, is it, it's been transformational for us. So not only are we using Microsoft Azure for our review platform, so our storage in hot storage, sorry, our um, obviously our, our data in hot storage, so we can access that data quickly. But we're also now using it for archiving evidential data um, and obviously all the governance, security and protection around that data. But we're also utilizing AWS uh, for password encryption. So um, where we're trying to get past certain types of passwords, uh, certain types of um, encryption, we can utilize uh, available processing power, scale that out in AWS. This is the type of stuff that we can't easily buy in within digital forensics. So for us, totally transformational, really. Yeah, and I think I think it's that extra level of you know security really is is kind of paramount here. Um, could you also kind of discuss the impact around FTK and and what that implementation is meant for West Midlands Police? Yeah, definitely. So we would we would definitely we're one of the first forces in the UK to take the solution on uh, around the review platform, FTK Central. But definitely one of the first forces there on top of that to obviously move it into the cloud. So what this has given us is a very unique capability where now we can get exhibits in, we acquire, process that data in a forensically sound manner. And instead of it sitting on our server storage, we can now send that out to investigators. So they don't have to come to the data, we can send the data to them. So time saving wise, phenomenal costs around police officers coming across in vehicles, but where we can literally, you know, uh, protect vulnerable persons, victims a lot sooner. And also we can reinvest that police officer time where they've been trying to find laptops to play, um, you know, data disks or traveling over here, they can concentrate on the core tasks around investigations and not worrying so much around the admin side. So definitely seeing a lot of productivity um, and a lot of easy identification of first generation abuse um, for the use of the tool. Mm-hmm. You see, you sound quite uh, positive about things, and it, it, it's it's good to hear that our forces, you know, really committed to sort of upgrading their 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 sort of stack technologically. Um, is this the same story for other police forces across the UK? Yeah, I think there's a lot of forces. You know, obviously, I, I can't talk on behalf of them. I think what what you'll find is there's a lot of forces that have invested quite recently in on-prem solutions. So clearly, they want to return on investment in that. And I think you'll find other forces that do want to go into the cloud. And I think sometimes it's it's understanding that that governance, that control, that next leap around how do we do it? Because I think we've always fought in the past around, you know, unfortunately keeping indecent images of children within the cloud and people go, oh, you can't do that. And, when, you know, when you start looking at the legal guidance and you start looking at your own force, information security, data protection, impact assessments. Um, for us, and, and I'm being totally honest here, the answer is, is if we're staying true to our values around protecting the public from harm, is the answer having more shelves delivered to the digital forensics team so we can keep more and more exhibits on and we build those queues up? Or do we hold true to our beliefs and our values that we do want to make a difference? And by working with partners, we can leverage, obviously, processing power and technology and we can get those devices turned around a lot quicker. So for us, that, that's the 
you know, that's the route we took because we're, we're staying true to our values that we do want to protect the public from harm. Hence the reason why we've invested in this technology. I want to I want to just ask you uh, as well, the, these upgrades in technology, you know, a, able to process to process a lot more data, allow, uh, allowing you to store a lot more data. Um, uh, has there been any sort of like palpable impacts within crime fighting? Uh, have you got like any stats on that? Yeah, so we went live with our review tool uh, back in May. And uh, to about date, uh, this was probably a couple of weeks ago, but we've done around 65 cases which have got into the review tool, and that probably equates to around about 120 mobile phones of various um, types and obviously storage sizes and 135 computers. Um, so, yeah, definitely since May for the particular teams within Westminster Police have got it, a lot of data has got into the review tool. Yeah, I think I think our audience will, will take away sort of by the end of this podcast is, you know, there have been massive leaps in this kind of technology over the last 20 years. And it's really good to see that it is being used for good in such a noble kind of profession as law enforcement. Uh, my, my kind of final question, and I'd love for you both to sort of weigh in on this, is where do you kind of see digital forensics evolving in the future I, I know a lot of our listeners will have seen blade runner a lot of them will have seen total recall uh, how far are we away from these these kind of things and uh, what are some like realistic goals that you can kind of see police in the uk attaining to i can i can only talk about the realities of where the products are going in a way and because being from the vendor side you can see the practicalities of of what we can achieve and the time scales that we can achieve that and obviously, we, we've made our software cloud-ready. That was the first task that we did. So the, the transition of the forensic tool that's been there from the early days of, of organized police digital forensics back in the early 2000s has transitioned to be um, you know, a reliable processing engine that can sit on-premises solutions or in cloud. The the technology that we employ to process the objects out of exhibits, be they mobile phones or be they computers, hasn't had to change very much over the last um, five or six years because you only really have to change the the engine when there are significant changes to the operating systems. And as we've seen with Mac and we've seen with Windows, that the changes to the technology have been evolutionary little steps over the last few years the the big change was going from you know the dumb phone the nokia 5210 to the iphone when that was first introduced and the big change that forensics has had to uh, step into to deal with smartphones and the size of the data on those smartphone devices well the next stage is how can we assist the examiners to to wade through very large data sets and that's about using you know, smart algorithms, how can we employ um, AI technology, learning algorithms to tackle large data sets? And that's not replacing the human interaction with those objects, but it's merely about how can we assist the humans to make um, a review of data more efficiently. Bear in mind, these are evidential processes. So to hand off that process completely to a machine isn't conscionable for um, for a lot of organizations so how can we build algorithms that assist how can we say what well, these pictures definitely contain just objects cars walls money telephones tv screens which pictures contain human beings 
when they contain objects, do any of them contain money, so that we can assist the human uh, in wading through very large picture and video data sets. When it comes to the, the, you know, the new use of mobile phones, the scourge of mobile phones appears to be the voice note um, for the 2020s. And how can we deal with phones that contain hundreds, if not thousands, of tiny voice notes? Well, that's about building transcription services that deal efficiently and um, reliably with voice notes that may contain lots of different accents, lots of dialects. How can we make that journey to that data to put it in front of an examiner an efficient process for them? Um, the future of the Blade Runner-esque world of turning up at a house, quickly scanning a device in 20 seconds, when those devices realistically contain six terabytes of data, you know, there's having to sort of trim the reality and their expectations. What can we do? What can we achieve? How can we make those journeys more efficient is where the roadmap for FTK is going. Got it, got it. Um, John Price, I'd love to hear your uh, take on it as well. Yeah, I think for for us, what we're seeing is, is definitely the cloud, as we prefer to remotely stored electronic data. So definitely in the future, we can see more and more of this stuff is going cloud-based and how do we deal with that, and especially understanding legislation around what's reasonable, lawful, proportionate for enable us to, to capture that data. I think, um, secondly, targeted extraction. We're going to get to the point soon where do we need to acquire, you know, one, two, two, two three, four terabyte drives just for when we're looking at temporary files, for example, or looking at web chat? Um, I think definitely that way. And I think the move to VR, virtual reality, um, we've seen some instances already within different virtual, rea virtual reality groups of harassment, uh, sexualized chat, uh, and all that type of stuff. And I think that's definitely something for the future that's going to um, start increasing more and more in that area, really, and how, how do we cope? and how to preserve data in that area. So, yeah, definitely storage size, um, cloud, uh, targeted extraction, obviously that data, and then how do we deal with uh, VR moving forward, really? I think one of the challenges for, and John touched on this earlier, really, was with with regards to how the budgets for digital forensics are seen. And we've got, we've got conversations going on with forces around the country as it stands now, and they're at different stages of the technological journey. As John sort of intimated, some have had recent investment in servers, and now they're being asked to look at new technology which requires a different funding structure because it's going in cloud, which is subscription-based. And there's, a, there's a, a need to accept that the digital evidence world is now part of the bread and butter of most investigations. It's not just a you know, a bespoke specialist service that you'll populate data and give that to another specialist department as it was when I started in the, the early 2000s. And now everybody has is part of that journey and some of the, the transition to the future is to enable, that's what FTK Central does, is enable that data to be processed, presented to a frontline investigator with a minimal amount of training so they can take part in that digital evidence journey. Um because we have to accept that it's part of everyday crime now. Yeah, I think I think what what, what you're saying, I guess, is that it almost needs to be democratized across the the force in terms of everyone kind of does need to to handle this data at some stage or another. Yeah, I'll try not to use that word because I use it a lot. Democratizing <laughs> of digital forensics, and 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 that's what that's effectively what it is. But in part, hand in hand with that, there's got to be the acceptance that the budget needs to reflect that. If you've got a police force of you know, in John's case, something like 10,000 police officers, 
then if you're going to service 10,000 frontline staff with digital forensic objects and a method of working within that, then the budget that's available for that service has to reflect the pervasiveness of the information that you're going to provide. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Obviously, I just wanted to wrap up by saying thank you both so much for joining us today. It was really great to give you an insight into today's topic. That's brilliant. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. And uh, thank you to everyone listening as well. We hope you took a lot away from our podcast, but for further information on what we chatted about, make sure you head on over to extero.com or check out the good work that they're doing over at West Midlands Police. We'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series, but until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms, follow the conversation on our socials at em360tech on Twitter and LinkedIn, and for more great daily content, make sure you head on over to em360tech.com. Thank you.